Just past 8 o'clock. All right, we're ready to talk sports. You know where we're headed straight into. No, 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 not that place. No, no. It's the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. We're talking sports. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. So, on this date back in 1920, Ray Chapman, shortstop for the Cleveland Indians, died after being hit in the head by a pitch from the Yankees' Carl Mays. He was only 29 years old. He was still the only major league player to ever die as a result of an injury in a major league baseball game. And on this date, if you saw the movie Ford versus Ferrari, Ken Miles, the driver for Carroll Shelby, passed away in a practice accident at age 47. On this date in 1941, Lakeland's very own Boog Powell was born. He's 82 years old. He was two-time World Series. Yes, sir. They're not booing. They're saying Boog. And if you go to Camden Yards, you can have Boog's Barbecue out there in right field. And um, it's pretty good. I've had it once. And um, he was two-time World Series champ in 66 and 71, four-time All-Star. And I'd forgotten he was the AL MVP in 1970. He hit 266 and uh, 35 home runs with 114 RBIs that year. Or no, 297, I'm sorry. He had a 266 lifetime average with 339 home runs. And in 1954, he helped take the Lakeland Little League team to the Little League World Series. Boog Powell, Lakeland. Little League World Series going on right now. That's Uh, right. Yeah, they just just got it started. It's exciting stuff, actually. Pretty high level of play. We have somebody that has probably eaten some Boog's barbecue as well. Michaeline, Dr. <laughs> Michaeline is here, and I know she's at least seen the smoke coming up from out in right field out there. Well, I left Baltimore before Camden Yards was uh, was built, but uh, certainly— But you've been back, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, once, once. But Boog Powell is certainly a legend. What, the Orioles are very good about keeping their legends going. They're yeah. very good about— their history, like many of the older uh, major league teams, they show them a lot of uh, respect and admiration. So, well, in 1954, that was the year they became the Orioles. They had been the St. Louis Browns previous to that, and um, a lot of people don't realize that. But they weren't always the Orioles, and uh, they in uh, 1954. Making some new legends this year as they remain in first place as the Rays are treading water right now, uh, winning some, losing some, but they've had a couple of big losses. Uh, There's a whole Wander Franco situation, which uh, is a little bit too convoluted right now to really talk about too much, but just a terrible blow. If that isn't bad enough, uh, Shane McClanahan is not going to need Tommy John surgery and he's going to be out probably at least a year. Uh, so we wouldn't look for him maybe, if everything goes perfectly, maybe the end of next season before he could come back, but uh, not sooner than that. They've had a lot of bad luck with their pitchers. And, uh, you know, when we've had Andy McGaffigan in here, you know, we've talked about that these kids play year-round now and there's so much stress on their arms and, you know, they don't play other sports. If, 
once they're identified as an outstanding baseball player or football player, a lot of them don't play another sport. And that repetitive motion is not good. Especially in baseball. They have almost year-round travel ball. It's a, it's a really grueling schedule they put these kids through. And pitchers throw so much. It's become a part where, where their arm simply wears out at a young age and they just get the Tommy John surgery. It seems like every decent young pitcher nowadays gets that Tommy John surgery at some point. We've been talking about this for years now. It's almost a rite of passage. It's horrible. Yeah. You, you really hate to see all that. Well, Coach Joe, today is August 17th. On August 26th, Notre Dame and Navy will kick it yeah. off. It's the last weekend In without Dublin, college Ireland. football for, yeah. for the rest of the year. There you that go. 32-week off season is coming to a close at last. We'll, uh, we've got about 20 straight weeks of college football in some fashion starting next week. The Rainbow Warriors from Hawaii are going to travel to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt and San Jose State going to visit Southern Cal. So, Have you seen Vanderbilt Stadium? It's, uh, they're, they're renovating the heck out of it, and it looks it's a construction site, and the end zone's on each side. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no way they're going to have stands there in time for next week's game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that they'll need it. Um, I doubt Hawaii's going to be bring a big contingent, but <laughs> every time you go to Vanderbilt, whoever the opponent is usually – as it as their home stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, Hawaii, it, w- there was a time when Hawaii was good about 15 years ago or so. Uh, they're not now. And uh, last year, Vanderbilt went out to Hawaii and, and scored 50 on them, I think. And yeah. they do it again this year. Is, uh, not that Vanderbilt is that great. Uh, they should finish last in the division. Uh, hopefully they'll finish last. <laughs> and uh, but But they should win this game pretty easily. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have former Denver Broncos All-Pro Carl Mecklenburg with us. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on WLKF 96.7. This is Bill Hodges, Larry Bird's college coach at Indiana State and current coach of the boys' basketball team at LaBelle High School in LaBelle, Florida. You're listening to the Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ronnie O. Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. We're having a little technical difficulty right now trying to reach Carl Mecklenburg. Hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show before long. I was looking over the Thursday, August 31st matchups in college football in Elon College against Wake Forest. I used to remember Howard Cosell, Rich McGeorge, <laughs> tight end out of tiny Elon College. And uh, he became the offensive line coach for the Gators at one point. I don't suppose that's the game you'll be going to on the 31st. No, <laughs> I don't plan to be there. I plan to be in Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, as we take on the Utah Utes. They've had some problems out there, you know, it, I've heard a lot of stuff that Cam Rising, their starting quarterback, is not going to be ready. Yeah, he got hurt in the Rose Bowl uh, pretty badly, I think, and uh, so there, there's always there's that big question mark about that because he is very good, a very good player, and so it's it's not going to necessarily be a walkover for the Utes, uh, but uh, you know a lot of it is going to depend on the Gators' defense in that game. Uh, you, you know the the offense, I think, will find itself eventually. And, and and what we're looking for is efficiency. Uh, if Graham Mertz can be efficient and they can 
be uh, efficient with the running game, which they weren't always that way last year, that'll help. But it's really going to come down to the Gator defense, which, if you recall, was losing games because they were giving up 45 points to FSU. They are giving up 38 points to Tennessee, 42 points to LSU. They're not going to win anything if they're giving up that many points defensively. So that, that if you want to see the Gators get better, it's got to start with defense. I know we love to talk about quarterbacks and stuff, but it's got to start there. Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, Utah's second-string quarterback suffered a lacerated liver in practice, so I don't think he's going to play. The third-team quarterback that. is— Doc, Dr. Michael Lynn, you can't play with a lacerated liver, can you? Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I forget the third-string quarterback's name, but he's— He's uh, from a little town in Utah, and uh, his family had a 10,000 hog farm. And uh, he, he's over there, probably doesn't even know where his helmet is, playing <laughs> on the bench. And all of a sudden, he's um, in the game in the Rose Bowl, and he took him down for a touchdown. So Sounds like Johnny Moxon, you know, <laughs> Varsity Blues. He's just sitting there reading a book on the bench. Yeah, Get in there, man. Exactly, exactly. Well, we got a caller with us. Daryl, how you doing, my man? This is not Carl Mecklenburg. Oh, well, hang up then. <laughs> <laughs> not, you're not the albino rhino? <laughs> I am not the albino. If he's the albino rhino, I am not. Okay, I'm the Polish pony. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, football season right around the corner. Yes, sir. Tomorrow night, Lakeland. That's right, high school season getting That's underway exactly already. Right. My goodness. Yeah, they'll be they'll be at home. New coach. Marvin Frazier. New coach, same same result. New coach, same result. Another state title, Daryl? I don't know whether that's gonna happen. You know, you can't do it every year, but they they, they Why got not? they got some <laughs> talent there. They'll be playing they'll be playing Armwood. Ooh, boy, they start off tough. Well, it's it, this is one of those what do they call a preseason games or whatever. Oh, anyway. okay, okay. The reason I called, um, it was recently my uh, wedding anniversary, and for my anniversary, uh, my wife has uh, showed up with the Phil Steele football magazine for me. How about that? All right. Yeah. She must really love you. She does. She does. Why? It's got all... It's my favorite magazine, but um, he doesn't seem to treat the Gators very well this year. I, I recall that he wasn't uh, overly optimistic about our chances, maybe a little more than Lindy was, who who uh, predicted doom and gloom. But uh, he, look, there's a, early on, I, I don't think the Gators are going to look great, but I think they will get better as the year goes on. At least that's my hope. Well, they they can't start off in in a more difficult situation than they find themselves in. Yeah, that's you're my, right. That's my that's my opinion. That may be. They're one of their more difficult, if not the most difficult game of the year, simply because of the travel situation playing out there. And they're going to play a very physical team. Yeah. Daryl, unfortunately, to... we, um, Carl Mecklenburg's calling in. I'm going to have to let you go. I appreciate I, I, that. I, I knew that would, that's why I called. I knew that would happen as soon as I got on. Oh, anyway. you're a good man. We appreciate it. Have Thanks, Daryl. All right. Thank you, Daryl. You bet. All right. Well, we told you we were going to try and reach Carl Mecklenburg, and we have. Carl, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Hello. Man, we certainly appreciate you coming on with us all the way from Colorado. Um, you know, I, I was looking, at, I, I listened to some of your presentations as a keynote speaker, and uh, 
you just are one of those guys that never gives up. You went to Augustana College, which gave us Ken Anderson, and uh, then you transferred. You walked on at the University of Minnesota, and uh, you really distinguished yourself there. Talk a little bit about um, your perseverance. Well, I uh, I loved playing football, first of all. Uh, even uh, and I played JV as a junior in high school. I was... Uh, I was only six feet tall and 200 pounds when I graduated high school. I grew three inches and 40 pounds my first year of college. Uh, things changed. <laughs> I, got, yeah, I got better over there. And actually, I was at a different Augustana. I was not at the oh, at not Kenny the same Anderson's. One. We were at Augustana in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So okay. Was, uh, not, not the one in Illinois. You were at the good one, uh, right? Uh, yeah, no, actually. <laughs> so not the one that wins games. But uh, I was there for a couple years. Uh, I was there on a one-third scholarship, which they took away after my second year there. My dad's a doctor, and they said, we know your dad can afford this school. We're going to take away your scholarship. <laughs> so so I left, and I, I walked on at the University of Minnesota and earned a scholarship there. Um uh, my junior year, I led the uh, led the Big Ten in sacks, tied with Andre Tippett. Uh, my senior year, we were losing so much by so much that that <laughs> no one ever passed. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to rush the passer. I was the 310th pick of the draft, uh, 20 guys away from Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, you know, I, I, nobody expected to to have me first of all at linebacker, and and second of all to even get a sniff. But uh, I made the team as a third-down pass rusher and a special teams player. Uh, they drafted me as a nose guard, uh, moved me to defensive end, and I, and I made the team as a defensive end. And a couple years in, Randy Gratishire retired, and they started uh, looking at me at linebacker. And my third year in the league, I made the uh, Pro Bowl as an all-pro linebacker. Wow. Well, in that same draft that you were taking, it was some guy named Elway that was the first pick, as I recall, and went to the Baltimore Colts and said, I'm not playing there. And so they traded Chris Hinton. And you had a little history with Chris Hinton, uh, who went from the Broncos for John Elway to the Colts. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, um, we played Northwestern in Minnesota, and uh, – they beat us that last my senior year. That was the, that was the first game they'd won in the Big Ten in, in years and years and years. They <laughs> tore down the goalposts and threw it in, in, in Lake Michigan. Or, uh, you know, I, but uh, I showed up against Chris on film. Uh, you know, I, I had a couple sacks and had a good game. And uh, the Broncos drafted him first, and uh, that's that's where they found me and and decided, you know what, if if he's available in later rounds, we'll we'll pick him up. So. Uh, Twelfth round rolled around, and I was still there. Uh, so they, they drafted me. Our guest tonight, Carl Mecklenburg, a twelfth round pick of the Denver Broncos way back in 1983, who went on to a terrific career, three-time, four-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, part of the Denver Broncos Ring of Fame, uh, joining us tonight. And a, a part of three different Denver Super Bowl teams in the 80s. I don't know if you know this, Carl, but... Uh, uh, one of your tight ends on those teams, uh, Orson Mobley. You and I played basketball together in high school. And uh, oh, I so, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah so. Orson. Uh, Orson was a special athlete. He was a, a basketball player. He was a, a. My understanding is he was drafted as a baseball player, and 
and obviously uh, as a football player and chose football. It's interesting. He didn't play football till his senior year, and then he mostly punted, but he was just so so good and athletic. Uh, it, it worked out. Maybe kind of a similar situation to you where you, you, uh, you know, no, that you kind of came on to, to be your greatness late. I guess. Yeah, the late bloomer thing. <laughs> yeah. Those were some great teams in the late 80s. Of course, uh, you, you, everybody talks about the drive, but the following year when you won against Cleveland uh, at Denver this time with the fumble. Uh, right. Yeah. That, uh, do you, what, do, what do you remember about that game? Well, um, as, as I recall, the uh, the first half of the game, we were kind of dominant and, uh, um, you know, had, had the lead and looked great and then the second half of the game they took over and uh you know it it was it wasn't it was it wasn't looking good it was pretty bleak and uh little uh cat jeremiah castile uh was going to get run over in the end zone for a touchdown and he's like you know i'm, I'm gonna go for the ball instead and uh took a shot at the ball and, and bounced it out ernest biner uh fumbled and uh you know we, we were going back to the super bowl and it was uh it was um, as exciting from a defensive side, obviously, uh, as as the drive was, just because you know we we made it happen defensively finally in in that second half and, and making that making that play. I mean, it's funny how often uh, somebody who you know is isn't a star, isn't someone you expect to make the big play, it makes a big play in, in at the right time in the in the big game. And Jeremiah Castillo certainly did that for us. You know, in the 70s, Denver was known for their orange crush defense, and you mentioned Randy Gratishar earlier. But by 83, Denver had kind of fallen back. You were probably the fourth-best team in the West because Seattle was playing there as well, and you had the Chargers and the Raiders. So when you got there in 83, what was it, what was it like, and how did you guys get so good by three years later? Obviously, Elway helped, but defensively too. Yeah, you know, uh, it was an interesting deal. Um the the owner of the team uh, Edgar Kaiser um, was preparing to sell the team. He he knew he was he, he wanted to sell the team. So we had 14 rookies and first year guys make it that first year. So o- over a quarter of our team was rookies, <laughs> which does it doesn't bode well, right? Uh, but uh, that group of guys. Um, was mentored by the old uh, Orange Crush guys, uh, Randy Gratishar, uh, Reuben Carter, Barney Chavis. Um, uh, was Tom Jackson Lu- around? Louis Wright, Tom Jackson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just unbelievable um, human beings and and great football players. And they taught us not only how to be football players, but how to be men. And it was it was their influence, their um, their their. Uh, Team camaraderie, their their willingness to step up, even though they're, a bunch of their friends just got fired for these <laughs> pups to come in, and and, uh, and they 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 took it on, and and uh, you know we became we became a, a real solid good defense um, way quicker than we would have without that. Wow, Carl, um, we got you in a little late in this segment. Would it be possible? We've only got about one minute left in this segment. Would it be possible? We've got about a three-minute break at the end of this. Can you hang around for the next? Sure. Segment? Yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to talk with you some more. Okay. Well, we wanted. I wanted to talk to you about Dan Reeves. I think he's a very underrated coach, and you know, you guys, you didn't fare well in the three Super Bowls, but I think sometimes coaches are so good that they take talent. 
that may not have been Super Bowl worthy further than maybe the talent should have gone. And even though you didn't win those games, getting there should should be celebrated more. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And if maybe you'll think about that and um, when we get back, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Of course. All right. We're, you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Talk Radio 96.7. Yes, it's Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7 does this every Thursday from 8 until 9. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. We've got with us Denver Broncos Ring of Fame defender Carl Mecklenburg. Carl, thank you so much for sticking with us here. Um, sure. We were talking about Dan Reeves and what a great coach he was, and um, you know, we lost him about a year ago, I guess. And um, I don't think he gets the credit for taking those Broncos teams as far as as, you, as they went. Um, talk a little bit yeah. about him. Yeah, first of all, Dan was a winner. Didn't he? He wanted more than anything to win. It was clear. It was consistent. Uh, the the new owner of the Broncos, Pat Bolin, uh, was was just the same. Um, it was it, our our cornerstones were winning championships and serving Broncos country and that fit right into Dan's whole approach and Dan although Dan was an offensive coach um, he coached in a way that um, was uh, involved the whole team he he, uh, spent a lot of time with special teams guys uh, defensively, uh, I mean, they would run the ball, keep us off the field. It was, it was, it was a whole team view of of the game of football. It wasn't so many, so many head coaches are either an offensive coach or a defensive coach, and and really don't um, see the whole game. And and Dan was very good at that. He he had that that uh, Tom Landry approach, and uh, it was uh, we we were expected to win. Well, in in my uh, nine years under Dan. Uh, we lost three games in a row in, in a row one time, and uh, he took away our lunch. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> he was like, "No, you're not getting educated lunch, brown oh. bag it or something." Oh. I mean, we were there to win. There was no question what we're uh. what we were supposed to do. So I mean, that was Dan. <laughs> Carl, um, one of the things that was unique about you is you came in, as you said, as a nose tackle, but you became something of a hybrid on the Denver defense, and that really wasn't done back then. Where who was the inspiration for that? And talk a little bit about what that did for your career. Yeah, that was Joe Collier. Joe Collier was our defensive coordinator. Joe saw uh, a linebacker in me, and I, I had never played linebacker in my life. Now I could rush the passer, I could play the run from defensive line, um, but uh, but the linebacker thing was all new. And uh, you know they taught me how to do it. Uh, I had played over over the uh, guard in. Uh, in college, um, as a defensive tackle, so I, I I understood the blocking schemes and and was fine handling the big guys, um, but I was playing defensive end, defensive tackle, um, on on nickel. I was playing outside linebacker. I was playing inside linebacker. I was playing nose guard when we played run and shoot teams. I mean, there were games I played all seven defensive front positions, and Joe would Joe wow. would use me yeah. as a uh, uh, as a, as a bit of a rover, um, and and really make it difficult for offenses because an offense will, will watch you, you substitute right, and they'll they'll know what package you're in, 
uh, by your substitutions and, and, and what defenses you're likely to play. But I could move back up back up, and, or go down into a three-point stance even as the uh, quarterback's in, a, in his count. So, so it really messed up their blocking schemes and, and deciding what plays they were going to call. Our guest tonight, Carl Mecklenburg, a great Denver Broncos linebacker from the 80s, 6821430. If you want to talk some football with Carl, 6821430. Uh, Carl is a uh, Gator alum. I got to ask you about one of my favorite players who you were teammates with, Tony Lilly. Uh, he, had, uh, he was a pretty good safety in his day, and uh, I, it, uh, I know he was, he was in on that, on that Ernest Beiner fumble play. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We were. Uh... We were uh, kind of backed up on the goal line there, and uh, you know everybody, everybody is is digging in and trying to trying to stop the run. And uh, as as the uh, strong safety, um, Tony uh, was was alongside of me back um, um, coming over the top. So it it was uh, it was one of those situations, and and. Like I said, the, the ball popped out. I don't. I don't know if Tony recovered it. I don't know. I don't. I had no idea who who recovered it. I just remember <laughs> Jeremiah Castile got it. And I I remember just jumping up and pointing the other way on the on the uh, on the video. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a much needed big play for sure. Yeah, we we uh, the other Gator on the, those teams was Ricky Natiel, who was uh, who was a fleet wide receiver. From the early '80s, I, it it makes it uh, resonates with me because that's when when I was at University of Florida. Those are the players that I, that I was watching. They were they were playing so well, and uh, they were a great part of those Denver teams. Be, be, before I ask you about what you're doing now, though, Carl, uh, how did you get the name the Albino Rhino? Where did that come from? <laughs> well, I'm pretty pale. <laughs> Uh, I, one of my one of my college teammates gave me that name, um, and it followed me to Denver, and I have no idea how it. Did. <laughs> you, usually, when uh, when uh, you get a nickname, it's it's from something embarrassing that happened or something. But this one was just you know it, it was it was just fun, and uh, and yeah, it somehow it followed me here. Well, white rhinos are rare and gorgeous creatures, so you got that going for you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a rhino would be a good thing as a lineman, right? You, you want to yeah. <laughs> you want to knock people off the ball, and that's uh, that. That was my job. Uh, and your job these days is motivate motivational speaking, and I understand you're you're quite good at it. Well, I appreciate that. I'm a certified speaking professional through the National Speakers Association. Only about ten percent of the Speakers in the world have that uh, designation. I'm uh, I'm a storyteller, uh, as you can probably tell from the interview. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it, uh, it's fun for me. I grew up doing that, and it uh, you know the the stories are are all pointed in one way. I look at a I look at a speech as a river. Uh, it 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 should have lots of different uh, stuff going into it. A swamp going into it, a, a cold stream coming into it, but it's all moving in the same direction and and towards where where I want to bring you and uh that's that's uh that's the way I approach my my presentations everything is uh is tied into the challenges and the needs of my client and uh the stories are the stories but the bridges between the stories uh, always point back to to the group that I'm speaking to Carl how could someone book you if they wanted to book you as a keynote yeah. speaker Oh sure just go to carlmecklenburg.com there's video there there's feedback there uh, there's, uh, you know, contact information there. So yeah, it's just carlmecklenburg.com. You can misspell it a couple ways and still find it. So. 
<laughs> uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, the, you ever you ever uh, make it down to the southeast here into Florida? Sure. Yeah, I, I just uh, recently was down there um, speaking for the uh, Bearing Specialists Association. Was down in uh, Sarasota speaking down oh, there. That's not oh, far from us. Yeah. I wish I'd known that. It's only about an hour and a half from us. Uh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. No, I end up down there every once in a while for sure. Wow, Carl. Um, before we let you go, what is your favorite story that you like to tell? You got something that's maybe humorous that you like to tell sure. in your speeches? Yeah, my my sp- my first speaking engagement was was interesting. The uh, Broncos have made the playoffs for the first time in in five years. Uh, that's a long time for the Broncos, and 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 I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, and when Minnesota, when the Vikings make the playoffs, people panic. <laughs> things, are, things have gone wrong so many different ways in the playoffs for them, and I kind of thought it was going to be that way here, but it wasn't. The uh, the uh, people were excited. They're painting their houses orange. There's a whole generation of children named John Elway Wilson or John Elway <laughs> Smith, and the the Museum of Natural History decided to take advantage of this excitement about the Broncos and hold a pep rally. So they they held the pep rally down there. They invited me and our old running back at the time, uh, Sammy Winder, to go down and speak at this thing. Uh, I'd never done anything like that before in my life, but I figured I'd give it a shot. I got down there, and it was just a small crowd. It was maybe 35 people, but they all had their Bronco stuff on, right, their jerseys and their foam fingers and their pom-poms. If uh, if you're going to give a first speech, it was a, it was a good group to give it to. And Sammy got up and did a great job and talked about he, how he was going to run it, now how Elway was going to throw it, how many points they're going to score, and it's my turn. I get up and I start talking about uh, about uh, Randy Gratishire and Tom Jackson tackled their <laughs> running back and Louis Louis Wright and Steve Foley intercepting the ball and myself and Rulon Jones sacking the quarterback and the fans are getting more excited. Uh, and, and then we're, we're playing the Seattle Seahawks. So I had gotten there a little bit late. Uh, I, I didn't know my way around town yet. And Sammy had told me uh, we were, our, our job was going to be to give a, give a little talk, and then we're supposed to tear up a Seahawk. We're playing the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> so I figured I could do that. I mean, it wasn't a very big crowd. So, so it's Seahawk time, and the lady takes this bird and hands it to Sammy. And Sammy holds it up over his head and says, Carl, you're the defensive player. You tear it up and give me this thing. <laughs> now, like I said, I'm from Minnesota, and in Minnesota, if someone says tear it up, they mean literally rip it to pieces, right? I, <laughs> Sammy's from Mississippi, and I found out later in Mississippi, Ebonics, tear it up can mean like tear up the town, tear up the dance floor, wrestle around, be rough. I ripped this bird in half. I threw the half with no head attached to the ground. I tore the head <laughs> off the other half. I threw it out in the crowd. The crowd's going crazy. I'm thinking, I love public speaking. This is for me. And, and then I see the lady in charge of the, the thing, and, and she's got her head in her hands. She can't believe what I just done. The, the Seahawk was actually an osprey. It was part of an ongoing study of the osprey species where they collected one every year. The crunchy osprey that was spread out on the ground in front of me had been collected in 1910. Oh. Uh, yeah, I got hate mail from the Audubon Society. Oh. I, 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 my parents read about it in USA Today. That was an interesting phone call from my mom. Oh, As my I'm leaving, leaving the scene of the crime, they're announcing, whoever caught the head of the Seahawk, please bring it back to the Seahawks' oh, <laughs> theater. So, so I, I use that story as an example of the courage to try new things, even though they might go terribly wrong, and that's why it's so hard to try new things. So Carl, there's, there's one of my stories. Carl, do you know what Vikings and Bills fans do when they win the Super Bowl? 
Uh, no, nobody does. Uh, well, <laughs> they throw down their Xbox uh, controllers. Oh, there you go. I love that. That's one you maybe can use. <laughs> there you go. Carl, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being with us. And, um, man, what, what a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much, and don't be strangers. It's awesome, Carl. Thanks. Man. All right, and if you'll hang on the line, we wanted to get a show liner from you, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, all right, thank you so much. Carl Mecklenburg. Man, let's go ahead and take a break. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is John Ebling, co-captain of the 1981 National Champion Moving Mox. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone, and we mentioned that today is the 82nd birthday of one Boog Powell. Now, what we want to know is, where was Boog Powell born? If you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And we could send you out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, and they'll take $30 off your tab out there when you go out there and eat and drink. And I'm telling you what, it's one of the best places you can go to eat and drink. They've got great food, great meal and drink specials every night of the week, and they're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. Coach Joe, don't they have a television set or two in there? <laughs> Forty strategically located TVs at the Ale House, where I had lunch yesterday, and it's uh, just – I just like going there. I just like – they're so nice there. The, the people are, are terrific uh, there at the Ale House, and the food, of course, is top-notch. And here we go. We talked about it that the football season is about to start. And uh, any given Saturday especially, you know, they have so many games on now. You need a place like the Ale House to watch the college football on Saturday because then you can see all the games at once. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're so good about, hey, I want to see the Elon-Wake Forest game. They'll put it on the <laughs> if TV they, If for it you. exists on TV, yeah. they will get it on there because they get pretty much everything there. Well, those <laughs> hordes of Elon fans, you know, that, <laughs> Are they the Elon Musks? Is that their <laughs> exactly? Name? Hey, and if you're a fan of other sports, uh, they they always save a, a place for for some other games that might be on. Oh yeah, as there's a lot going on in September as uh, baseball, of course, continues on, and uh, and and many other things. Uh, uh, they 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 will take care of you there. That's one thing that they their service there is just top notch. Wonderful oh, yeah. place. Again, our sports quiz for an opportunity to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and take $30 off your tab. This is not a hat and a T-shirt. This is $30 off your tab out there, and you can eat and drink quite a bit for $30, as long as you don't take Eric Clark with you. So, <laughs> Oh, man! <laughs> you, will, you will go deep into the hole if you try to, if you try to, you know, try to keep up uh, bite for bite with Eric Clark, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to see if they might have like 36-month financing if you take Eric Clark with you. <laughs> Easy now, terms. Hold on, guys. Just stop it. Low Just interest stop rates. It. Uh, so what we want to know is, if you haven't won the last six months, what city was Boog Powell born in? Richard Boog Powell. What city was he born in? You, you might be pretty familiar with this city. So 682-1430, give us a call, and we'll send you out there. 
Yeah, with the $30. You know, uh, we appreciate uh, and thank Carl Mecklenburg for being on the show tonight. What a, what a great, great, a great guy. I didn't get a chance to tell him I'm wearing my one and only Denver jersey tonight, knowing that he would be on. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, the uh, Tim Tebow jersey, when he was with the Broncos, they actually had it in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, he wasn't in the Hall. He's not in the Hall of Fame, obviously, but um, – it was in there when I took my grandson there, and I took a picture by it. I can't remember why it was there, but uh, um, I don't know. Was it uh, the quickest overtime win or the eighty-yard touchdown? Yeah, overtime? that might have been it—the quickest it, overtime win. Yeah, I think because it was on the first play of of sudden death overtime in the playoffs. That's the quickest. There have been opening kickoff return touchdowns in regular season overtime games uh, on on several occasions. And speaking of the Hall of Fame, you know, we've talked about Ken Riley getting in and you mentioned Ken Anderson earlier. Uh, next week he's going to find out his fate and b- besides him as one of the semifinalists uh, for the senior committee also is Randy Gratishar, who we talked about, oh, yeah. who was the veteran linebacker when Carl Mecklenburg joined the team in 1983. Uh, there's 12 uh, persons that the senior committee is going to consider, and they're going to nominate three as the finalists. And and lo- what we learned last year is if you get nominated, you're going to make it in from that senior committee. Uh, so they're, uh, so Ken Anderson, Randy Gratishar, there's a couple of other worthy people as well, including Roger Craig, the great running back of the 49ers. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're going to have to – by next week we should know uh, the fate of Kenny Anderson, Randy Gratishar, and some of the others. Well, hopefully we can get Ken Anderson on with us again oh, yeah, and definitely. be able to celebrate with him. Um, today is also John Gruden's 60th birthday, and um, you might remember him – winning the Bucks' first Super Bowl back in 2002. And um, he was born in Sandusky, Ohio. And one of my favorite players, Dustin Pedroia, today is his birthday. He was born in 1983, had a 299 lifetime batting average. And oddly enough, he played 14 years in the majors, all with the Red Sox. 14 years, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, didn't, yeah, I always think of him as a young player. But, man, that's, uh, it's amazing how the time flies. Yeah, it really does. And um, give us a call, 682-1430. If you haven't won the last six months, you can win that sports quiz. Um, We told you that Boog Powell in 1954 took a Little League team to Little League World Series, and it was from the town he was born in. It's real close around here. (laughs) That's a big hint. Hopefully somebody will call in at 682-1430 because we like to give the stuff away because otherwise Eric just takes it. And then he, <laughs> does he share it with us? No, 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 he does not. No. You know, I was waiting tonight. I thought I was going to get a dinner, dinner invitation from him, but, you know, he sneaks out and he goes down there, double bolts, dead bolts the door. <laughs> you know, he's got armed guards outside to make Gotta sure. Gotta protect my food. <laughs> Eric's been banned from all-you-can-eat buffets in three different states. He's oh, a- <laughs> yeah. He's a dangerous man. We got to call out some hungry and thirsty. On this date in 1933, Lou Gehrig plays in his record 1,308th consecutive game. He would go on to play in 2,130 straight games. And, of course, that would be broken by Cal Ripken Jr., who would go on to play in 20, over 2,600 games. Walt, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm good. I tried to call in earlier, but I was a little late. Oh, man. Daylight and a dollar short, huh? Oh, well, that's my life. 
Well, I think you're academically eligible to win our sports quiz, and I bet you know where Boog Powell was born. Yeah, I think he was born in the old Morrell Hospital right here in Lakeland. You're exactly right. Um, I played softball against his brother, Richard. My goodness, that guy was a tremendous athlete, probably about, I don't know, 6'4", 6'5", could run. And uh, I played a nine-game schedule against him in softball. I think he hit 57 home runs. (laughs) Guy, our right fielder would watch the ball just soar over his head because it was so far out of the park. Well, you know what he was really good at in track and field, don't you? Because I had several classes with him. I don't. What what's a, what's an item you throw that's the, very heavy? The discus or the hammer? No, been been the shot put probably right. Back then it was the shot put, and he may still even hold uh, the state record. If he's not, he's close. Yeah, he he could. It was almost like you and I picking up a softball and then even coring it out. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> you know the way he uh, he was just. You know, I'm just amazed that he didn't get further along than he did. Yeah, I think he ran into some problems. But anyway, um, if you will hang on the line, we'll get your Eric will get your information. Now, don't fall for that when you ask for your credit card. Okay. 